Hi, I'm back. This is Tyler. Welcome to the lecture for Chapter 9 of Economics 1500. Now we know what real GDP is, and we know what unemployment is, and we know what inflation is. We're going to start the process now of building a macroeconomic model to explain the behavior of real GDP, of unemployment, inflation. It's not enough just to know what these variables are, but in macroeconomics we want to be able to describe uh, what determines these variables, the behavior of these variables. In other words, what determines uh, the business cycle. And then we can also use our model in later chapters to understand uh, the role of the government in smoothing out the business cycle or the role of the Federal Reserve in affecting the business cycle. So we're going to build a model commonly called the aggregate supply, aggregate demand model that we're going to use to understand our macroeconomy. Uh, so chapter 9. If you'd call up your slides, uh, as I do, somewhere, and uh, pr pretty straightforward. Well, the aggregate supply and demand model in some ways is similar to the simple supply and demand model we introduced in earlier chapters uh, and used to understand the behavior of the price of a particular good like Pepsi and the quantity, equilibrium quantity of that good. But now we're talking about overall, the overall economy. It's much more abstract. Uh, but if you want to, if you just go to the slides, if you will, and and first go to, I don't know, we're going to skip kind of ahead to see the, uh, go to slide 25, if you would, please. Let's just start with slide 25, or if you have your book, uh, it's, it's just figure one on page 189. Let's just look at this model on, and, and make sure we know what's on the axis before we get into the details. So again, chapter uh, 9, page 189, if you have your text, or slide 25 in chapter 9 on the PowerPoints on the web. On the vertical axis, we're measuring the price level. That's uh, the GDP price index or the CPI. It's just the general level of prices. We're not measuring the price of any particular good, but rather just the price level on the vertical axis. On the horizontal axis, we're measuring real GDP, and we often use the symbol Y to stand for real GDP. But real GDP is also, you know, it's a measure of real output and, and also a measure of income since output in the broadest sense equals income. So we're measuring output or income on that horizontal axis. And notice that we have a, the supply of goods uh, and services. There's an upward sloping supply curve. More goods will be produced higher level, higher prices than at lower. And we have a downward sloping demand curve. And these two curves intersect to determine the equilibrium price level and the equilibrium level of output or income. That's what the small. That's what these. Uh, it's the interaction of aggregate supply, and by the way, aggregate is just a synonym for total. Total supply, total demand, intersect and determine output and the price level. And so you can see, looking at Figure One or this uh, PowerPoint slide 25, that if one of these curves shifts, output on the horizontal axis will move. There will be a new equilibrium. That, or and also, if one of the curves shifts, there will be a new price level. So we can directly explain the behavior of two of our major macroeconomic variables, output and the price level, just looking at this diagram. But if, behind the scenes, if we know what's happening to real GDP, we also know what's happening to unemployment. Look at the diagram. If aggregate demand shifts rapidly to the right, use your intuition. If for whatever reason, consumers and businesses are out there buying lots of goods and services, visualize the aggregate demand curve shifting to the right. That'll increase output measured on the horizontal axis, but you could also think that that would have an effect on employment, unemployment. 
employment would go up. Firms need more workers to produce more goods and services. And for a given labor, given uh, et cetera, paribus, that will cause unemployment to fall. So directly we measure two of our important macroeconomic variables with the aggregate supply demand diagram. But behind the scenes, we can think of what's going on with unemployment and employment. Well, again, still looking at this diagram, we want to really understand a couple important things. Uh, we want to understand why these curves look the way they do. Why does the aggregate demand curve slope down? Why does this particular aggregate supply curve slope up? And then, perhaps more importantly, what causes these curves to shift? And I'm telling you, if you just understand those basic things, you're you're going to understand a lot about the macroeconomy, because you can use the simple model to think about the economy and to think about how different things will affect our economy, like changes in interest rates or changes in exchange rates. So it's a very good little model, simple but quite powerful. But we, you have to understand why the curves look the way they do, and more importantly, perhaps, what causes each of the curves to shift. Now, it gets a little more complicated, because we're actually going to have two aggregate supply curves. If you go to the next slide, 26, you'll see that there in this diagram are two supply curves. Don't worry about the detail of slide 26, but just notice that there are two supply curves. So we need to know why each supply curve looks the way it does, and what causes those curves to shift. So really, there are six questions we need to answer in this chapter. There are three curves, and for each curve, we have to we need to understand two questions. So hence, overall, six questions. Why does each curve look the way it does? And what causes each curve to shift? Now let's go all the way back to the beginning now to slide, slide two. Uh, there's a discussion in the book about aggregate expenditures. Aggregate expenditures, before we get into the slide, aggregate expenditures is the sum of, if you want to even write this equation down, aggregate expenditures is the sum of consumer spending, investment spending, government spending, and exports. Net exports, I should say. And uh, when those, uh, when we draw, a, when we hold the price, when we hold the, Everything else remains the same except the price level, and draw a demand, uh, draw and, and relate aggregate expenditures to the price. We call it an aggregate demand curve. So there's this close connection between the aggregate demand curve and aggregate expenditures. Well, the first thing we want to do is we want to think what, why does the aggregate demand curve slope down? Why is it that there will be more aggregate expenditures? At higher, at lower prices than at higher prices. So everything else remains the same. If if the price level falls, if you're looking at figure, if you're looking at figure one in page 189 of the book, or back to slide 27, why is it that at lower price levels there will be higher or more aggregate expenditures? And there are three reasons, and I'm going to go through these pretty quick. I'm going to let you get to uh, read through these. I don't think I can add much here. Uh, but there, but there are the wealth effect, the interest rate effect, and the international trade effect. The wealth effect is pretty simple. So remember, we're just asking the question: Why will everything else remain the same? Why, if the price level falls on, why, if average, the average level of prices fall, why will there be more 
demand for goods and services. One is the one, the wealth effect is because think about this: if you have a thousand, say you have ten thousand dollars in your checking account today, and for whatever reason, hypothetically, the price level, the average level of prices falls by half tonight. So you wake up tomorrow and everything on average is half the price that it was today. How about that $10,000 in your checking account? Will it buy more or less? Well, the answer is it'll buy more. And if it will buy more, maybe you would go out and buy more. That's the wealth effect. Now the int And that's what we see here on slide three. Change in the price level, changes purchasing power, financial assets, change in consumption. Now, the wealth. The next effect is the interest rate effect. A uh, little more, a little more difficult. But go to slide four. The interest rate effect tells us that if there's, a, and let's start with a rise in the price level. If there's a rise in the price level, that means a given amount of money, say your ten thousand dollars in the checking account, it'll buy less. And so what that means, if, if prices rise dramatically, and so a given dollar will buy less, people need more dollars. They need, more, they need to hold more money in their checking accounts and cash just to finance their daily transactions. You know, I normally have $5 in my wallet every day, so when I go to lunch, I can, I can make sure I have enough for lunch. But if lunch is now twice as expensive, I've got to start carrying $10 around in my wallet. I, my demand for money... Uh, increases. That's what's going on here. And well, you know, at, at the macroeconomic level, if everybody needs more money balances, and money is like checking accounts and cash in your pocket, if everybody needs more money to finance their daily transactions, well, they have to sell some other kind of asset. You know, if I normally have money in uh, bonds, and I need more money, well, I have to sell bonds. Or have to, uh, and as everybody sells bonds, that's going to raise interest rates. And as interest rates go up, aggregate expenditures fall. Now that's a very difficult concept. It's much more difficult than the wealth effect. But the idea is, is here, it, boil it down. It's this, it is this: that changes in the price level affect interest rates. And then just remember, ceteris paribus, a rise in the price level. Is a rise causes going to cause a rise in interest rates? This is one of those instances where you may just want to remember this. You know, think through it a few times. It's good if you can get the intuition, but it's it's not that difficult to just remember that a, a rise in the price level will cause everything else to remain the same. An increase in interest rates, and now it's fairly fairly simple because if there's an increase in interest rates, we know that that'll cause aggregate expenditures to fall. Because you know we all, if we borrow to buy cars or if business firms borrow to purchase capital, higher interest rates, it's more expensive to borrow. So everything else remains the same. Consumers and business firms will buy less. So again, we get this inverse relationship between a change in the price level and a change in aggregate expenditures. Price level rises, aggregate expenditures fall, and the whole process works in reverse. And that's the bottom path of Figure Four. Well, let's go to the third reason the aggregate demand curve slopes down, and that's the international trade effect. This is, again, a little easier. Uh, if our prices change, that and every all other 
world prices are the same. Let's just look the comparison between the United States and Japan. Let's say that our prices go way, way up. And their prices are the same. What does that do to the relative price? For, forget about the exchange rate. Just what does that do to the relative price of, of GM cars versus Toyotas? If we're, Again, we're saying that our prices all go up. If Japanese prices are all the same, that makes our goods more expensive relative to Japanese goods, and we'll buy, if our prices go up, we'll buy more Japanese goods. That's a decrease in demand for our goods. And there we have it, an inverse relationship between the price, our prices, our price level, and aggregate demand for our goods. Had to take a little drink there. Well, there, though, there's three reasons the aggregate demand curve slopes down. And we see a picture of that in slide 6. Note that changes in prices result in changes in the quantity demanded. As prices change, as price, there's an inverse relationship between the price level as measured on the vertical axis and aggregate expenditures for the three reasons we just went through. The wealth effect, sometimes called the real balance effect, the interest rate effect, which is mind-numbing, and the international trade effect. Uh, well, now uh, we have, we, we, on slide 7, we, we break aggregate demand or aggregate expenditures. We can think of them as synonymous, synonymously. We just normally use the word aggregate demand. We're, t we're thinking of the graph. Into its four components, consumption, investment, government, and net exports. And, uh, excuse me there, bump the mic. And we see that. Uh, we, we're looking at the factors that affect consumption, uh, factors that affect investment, factors that affect net exports. Government spending, just that's just set by Congress, the president. But for consumption, we see we have income, wealth, expectations, demographics, taxes, interest rates, technology, cost of capital, capital. You know, all of these can change. Now, we just saw that the, let's think of consumption now. If the price level changes, that can, that can change wealth. But wealth can change for a non-price reason. Say there's a boom in the stock market. That changes people's wealth. Or if there's a boom in real estate prices. How would, you know, how would that affect consumption spending in the United States if there's just a huge boom in the stock market? And people hold, people own stocks. And if these stock prices go up, people are wealthier. Will they buy more or less? Well, they would buy, they'd buy more. Now, in that instance, it was a non-price wasn't wealth changed not because the price level changed, be because the stock market boomed. In that instance, the demand curve, we wouldn't move up and down a demand curve. It's only changes in prices, the price level, that moves us up and down a, a demand, aggregate demand curve. If, if demand changes for some other reason other than prices, then the aggregate demand curve shifts. Hang on just a second. I had my knock at my door, but it seemed to go away. Uh, it was, I, I didn't recognize the voice. I, otherwise, I'd open it. But I, it was uh, it was a colleague who he'll, he'll he'll come back. Well, so the idea is if 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 there's a change in consumption, investment, government spending, or net exports for a reason other than a change in the price level, then the aggregate demand curve will shift. Now we're gonna the book simplifies this, and we're gonna go into slides uh, 
these extra. Uh, what happened? Turn your. Go into slide. Slides eight, nine, and ten. Go through what we call the non-price determinants. That is, we're going to we're going to we're going to lump things into some categories of of uh, three or three I think three items that will cause the at demand curve to shift. In other words, these are non-price determinants. Items that'll ch if they change they'll shift the at demand curve. One, we see expectations. If expectations change, if people if consumers are more optimistic, for example become very optimistic. Well, you think that that would cause them to demand more. If they all think they're going to have jobs, households think we're going to have jobs, our jobs are going to be better, the economy's doing great, then we'll go out and we'll buy more goods and services. Air demand increases. Geometrically, you want to think. It shifts. When, it, when, uh, when one of the components of demand change for a reason other than price, the air demand curve will shift right or left. If an increase in demand, shift right. Decrease in demand, shift left. So expectations affect. And in fact, this is very... Uh, a very closely watched variable by a lot of business people in trying to understand, you know, maybe your Walmart, you're trying to predict future demand for your goods and services. Uh, you watch an index called the Index of Consumer Confidence, which is reported all the time. In fact, in the United States recently, it's been going down. There's some concern about that. Uh, a, a change in consumer confidence can affect our demand. And since, remembered, consumer demand, consumers purchase about two-thirds of what's produced consumed, a change in consumer confidence can have a big effect on aggregate demand. So change in expectations. B, a change in foreign income and price levels. And now we mentioned if our price level changes, that causes us to move down the aggregate demand curve. But if the foreign price level changes, even at a given uh, U.S. price level, that'll cause demand for our goods and services to fall. Let's go back and say our prices stay the same, but there's a dramatic decrease in the price of Japanese, the Japanese price level. So in other words, we can buy their goods at a lower price. We'll do so. So we'll buy their goods, not our goods. That's a decrease in demand for our goods. Or uh, their incomes. Let's say there's a boom in Europe, an absolute boom in Europe. And their European consumers are buying more of all goods. Well, that'll dramatically increase. Well, I should say dramatically. But there's an increase in demand in Europe for all goods. Some of those goods will be our exports. And so and a, a boom in Europe an increase in their incomes will increase our aggregate demand and vice versa. And uh, the third reason is, is, is just government policy changes. The government can change spending, just purchase more goods or less, and that'll obviously shift aggregate demand. If the government decides to buy more, aggregate demand will shift to the right. If the government purchases less, aggregate demand will shift left. And also, the government indirectly can affect consumers, can affect aggregate demand because of the effect of taxes on spending. Again, a lot of intuition here. If the government dramatically raises tax rates, you have less, less, in, less disposable income, you'll probably buy less. The air demand curve would shift left. There's a dramatic tax decrease. Uh, you'll have more money in your pocket, you'll buy more. Air demand shifts right. And then in slide 11, we just see, see examples of the air demand curve shifting right and left. And we can see in slide 12, although we're getting a little ahead of the story, if we have an aggregate, if we have an aggregate supply curve, where, which we'll get to in a second, you can see that changes in aggregate demand are going to change the equilibrium price level and the equilibrium level of real GDP.
Let me see. We're going to stop here. And this, if we go the rest of this, uh, uh, let's put this lecture into a couple parts. We're going to have uh, be too big of a download. So I'm going to I'm going to stop right here for, and then we'll start again with.